You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Steve. There was once this young girl, probably five, six years old, and she went to her mom. And of course, like many young kids do, they're full of questions. And so she came to her mom and she said, Mommy, where does the human race come from? And our mom thought about it for a second, and she said, well, that's kind of an easy question, sweetie. She said, God created the universe. He created the earth. Then he made Adam and Eve. And from Adam and Eve, the whole rest of the human race came because God ordained it that way, and that's how he built it. And she goes, oh, okay. And she kind of walked around, and she seemed satisfied. Well, later that day, she decided to go and ask her dad the same question, just to verify and make sure. And so she says, Dad, where's the human race come from? And her dad says, oh, well, that's pretty easy. There was a lot of these monkeys laying around, and all of them decided one day just to evolve, and then they became humans. And the little girl got kind of confused. I mean, those are very different answers. So she kind of molded over that night, and the next morning she went back to her mom, and she said, Mommy, where's the human race come from? You told me Adam and Eve and from God, and Daddy told me they evolved from monkeys. She said, now I'm confused. And the mom looked at her thoughtfully for a second and said, well, I can see that, sweetie, but really there's a good explanation for that. When you asked me, I told you about my side of the family, and your dad told me about his. (laughs) Right? (laughs) The point being here, right, is that we often get, that's not my own joke. I wish I could take credit for it, but it's not. Um, The point of it being, right, is we get two very distinct conflicting accounts of where mankind comes from in our society. Um, Sean has been talking since we started Genesis a little bit about some of the things that we hear about evolution. He's put up science and shown you how science backs the biblical account and how evolution is not really as cemented as we think it is. And a lot of times there's just, there's a lot of missing links. There's a lot of things missing to make evolution seem as seamless as it is. Whereas the more and more science that's found out, it seems to back the biblical account more and more and more, right? And one of the things that pops into my mind as I thought about this was um, how many people remember middle school, high school science? I see a lot of people hanging. Some people are like, it's been a long time. Trust me, it's been a long time for me as well, right? I had to review a little bit. But you guys thought you were going to make it through the week without a science lesson because you saw me come up instead of Sean? But I said, that wouldn't be fair to you at all. So if you remember from middle school, high school science, right? You remember the mitochondria? Some of you are like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. If anything, all you remember is the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell, right? That was like, that was the tagline that science teachers had, right? Mitochondria is the, the, the powerhouse of the cell. Well, it's true. The mitochondria is an organelle within our cells, and basically it uses respiration and some of the other systems of the body to transport it into energy, and it produces energy within our cells, right? I bring it up because the interesting thing about the mitochondria is, as an organelle, it's a little unique. Many of you know, if you've ever studied genetics, you've studied science and things of that nature, that um, when you're born as a baby, you have two distinct lines of DNA. Half your DNA comes from your mom, half your DNA comes from your dad. Well, in the mitochondria within your cells, the DNA within the mitochondria is all just from your mom. Other parts of the cell have your dad's DNA in them as well, and those two meet, merge together, and make your unique you, just the way God designed us. 
right? If anyone thinks that that evolved chaotically, that's kind of crazy. The systems in our body are so, so organized and so um, engineered that there just, there had to have been God who's kind of had a higher intelligence in this. But where this comes into play and is important is that in 1987, there was a study done out of USC Berkeley. And the study basically surveyed people from around the globe. All continents except for Antarctica. There's no people in Antarctica, not at least not full time because it's very cold, right? But all the continents, all the countries, they looked around, um, all the people groups, race, ethnicities, didn't matter. They took samplings from all of those, from people across the world. And what they found was by looking at the mitochondria and the mother side of the genes that came in, Every one of those people from around the world, no matter what color, creed, ethnic background, where they grew up, all of those people could be traced back to one female ancestor. And the scientists call this mitochondrial Eve. I guess they just couldn't bring themselves to say Eve because that'd be too biblical, right? They wanted to use Eve because they thought it was witty, but they used mitochondrial Eve. The point being is once again here, we saw science backing up what we already knew to be true in the Bible. The Bible has told us for thousands and thousands of years that we had one female ancestor, right? We had Adam, we have Eve, and we all came from that lineage. Cain and Abel were born, Seth was born, and from that we see the rest of humanity. Um, this just backed that up even more again, right? It showed us that, yeah, you know, there's no way that if evolution was really the source of humanity, like that little girl's dad wanted to tell her, right? Then we would all have different grandmothers, great-grandmothers, and it would not go back to one single person, right? If all the monkeys had evolved into humans, there would be lots of humans who had been the initial woman, right? Not just one. And so again, we have science backing up what we know. And I bring that up just because as we're diving more into Genesis today, Right? It's important you take a minute to think to yourself, where's my faith? Which one of these options do I believe that people evolved over time from other animals? Or do I believe that, you know, as we mentioned before and Sean's mentioned, science shows that there, are, there is a little bit of change within animals, right? You may have had one dog and it's turned into 180 breeds, but they're all still dogs, right? There might have been one or two primates or monkeys. They may have turned into a lot of monkeys, right? But they're still monkeys. There can be change with environments, but it doesn't change drastically into different species. And so as we look at the first family, and we look at Adam and Eve and their children in this, in this chapter, right? We have to remember to ourselves that this is what we view and what we understand to be the origin of humanity. And it's important because it's telling us a story that's important and vital about our humanity and about how we need to live our life and where we need to put our faith. So we're in Genesis chapter 4 today, and we're going to open up. And it says, Now Adam and Eve knew his wife, or now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and the fat portions. 
And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel his brother, and then when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you're cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you've driven me today from the ground and from your face. I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who find him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod east of Eden. So as we open up here in Genesis 4, we have a lot of firsts. Last time in Genesis 3, we saw the fall. We saw the disobedience of Adam and Eve. We saw the fall. We saw the entrance of sin and death in the world. We kind of saw, as Sean said, what went wrong, right? And now we see that that seed of sin that started in Genesis 3 is, is growing fruit. The seed is grow That sin is growing within mankind, as we see the mankind start to multiply here. So even Adam and Eve were the first people, but here in Genesis 4, we see a number of other firsts for the first time in history ever on the planet. And the first thing we see here is the first pregnancy. Remember, Adam and Eve were created by God. They were not born. Now we have the first pregnancy, the first baby, I'm sure that was kind of a shock. Adam and Eve are hanging out. They're living their life. And one day Eve starts to kind of get bigger, right? And Adam's like, hey, Eve, I think you're putting on some weight, right? <laughs> we laugh and say no, but there was no other people to judge Eve. Eve would have been, been cool with that. She'd be like, yeah, I'm hungry. Pass me some more food. Right? There was no one to judge Eve against. Eve was the only woman. She was, whatever Eve looked like was what women were supposed to look like. So she was okay with that. Right? But she, you see, she started to put out rate, right? Eventually, we have the first birth. Again, probably a surprise and a shock. No one had ever been born before. We didn't know how it was done. Right? And now, here it is. Right? The baby is born. The first birth, probably a surprise too. Adam and Eve had no idea what to expect. They were created understanding, being able to walk, being able to talk, and now there's a baby. And Adam and Eve are looking at this baby and going, I, I guess we need to take care of it. I mean, it doesn't seem to be able to feed itself. It doesn't be able to, it can't walk. It can't talk. Like, I guess we have to take care of this. And you have the birth of the first family in the Bible. And it tells us here in Genesis 4, not long after, 
Eve conceived again and had another baby and had Abel. So now you have a stronger family, you have a bigger family. You have mom, dad, you have two kids. And for the first time, we have a family. We see here not long after that, for the first time, we have a dysfunctional family. So it didn't take too long. And unfortunately, as the chapter progresses, we also see the first murder in history. It doesn't take us very long. Within a gener not even a generation, we progress from the fall, from disobedience and eating a fruit, to murdering and taking another person's life. So when we're looking at this chapter, we want to I want to take a look at this chapter and look at what are the lessons that we're supposed to learn here from this story, right? What are the lessons from Cain that we're looking at here? And I say that because very often we refer to this section as the story of Cain and Abel. But when you really read into it, it's actually more of a spotlight on Cain. Cain is mentioned 13 times in this section of the Bible. We have 16, we have, in this, this passage, we have Cain mentioned 13 times. Abel is mentioned seven times as the brother of Cain. But we're really focusing on the actions, the heart, the faithlessness of Cain himself. And what we're supposed to learn from that. So the first thing that we see in Cain, as well as Abel, is that they're workers. Cain is a worker. So is Abel. So are Adam and Eve. Adam puts them to work in the fields. Right? They're out of the garden now. They have to grow food. They have to provide for themselves. And so Adam raises his sons up in the fields, teaching them we, we're master. God made us the masters of plants. He made us the masters of animals, of the air, the land, the sea. Right? And we have a responsibility to that, and that takes work. So they grow up in that. And as they grow it becomes evident that each of these sons has their own skills and interests. Now, those of you who have ever, who are parents or grandparents or even older siblings know the joy it is to see when your children or your grandchildren or your younger siblings start to grow up and they hit their teenage years and their early adult years, and you really get to see who they become, right? Do they become a a welder? Do they, are they skilled in hands-on stuff? Are they a builder? Are they into science? Are they into teaching? What are their skills that God's given them, and how do they apply that? And you really see them shaping into a person. And Adam and Eve get to see that with their two sons here. They're shaping into people. And what we see that it's told to us here in chapter 4 is that Abel becomes a shepherd. He's gifted with animals. He can round them up. He can take care of them. He can make sure that they're multiplying. His fl flocks are getting bigger, right? He, can, he knows how to butcher, to make meat. He's a rancher. He's a, he's a shepherd, right? And Abel is gifted in, in farming. He knows he's got a green thumb. He knows how to grow things, how to raise things, you know, how to get a seed or a plant to grow, to flourish, to produce more seeds, to produce more plants, to get fruits, to get vegetables, right? It's kind of easy for us to say, but there's a lot of you who probably tried that and you just kill everything that you start to try to make, right? All your plants go brown and die within two days. There's a gift to that. And each of these, we see that each of the sons here have that. 
Cain is a gifted farmer. Abel is a gifted shepherd. He's not the first, right? We see a shepherd's become a thing, you know, or, or a gift that continues through this family line. Uh, we see even further on, right, Abraham's a shepherd, Isaac's a shepherd, Jacob and his sons are shepherds, right? Moses is a shepherd, David is a shepherd. We see that this is a gift that keeps going as well through this line. But what we see here from this is that work in the will of God is not a curse, before things start to go even worse here in this, in this account from the Bible, we see that they're working. And work is not a curse from God. Unfortunately, too often today we think it is. We're like, oh, i got to go to work. I can't wait to just do whatever I want on the weekend. I can't wait to be home and just rest and lay around and watch TV as if that's the goal in life. right? No, work is part of that goal. Work's not a curse, it's a blessing. Right? God said six days you'll, show, you'll labor and do all of your work. And on the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. That's from Exodus chapter 20. Right? We don't work just to make a living. We work to make a life. That's supposed to be how we focus on it. It's supposed to be part of us using our gifts, part of us using what we've gotten from God, what God has provided for us to shape our life and to shape how we utilize that to produce things for our family, to take care of our children, to witness to other people, right? There's so much engaged in work, and we see as the two here are workers. Um, Theodore Roosevelt, the president, once said, the best prize that life offers is the chance to work hard at work worth doing. And I can see that this working Right? Adam's in the field with his two sons. They're working. And this also allowed a, a way for Adam to witness to his own sons. They're in the field, and they're like, this is hard work. Like, this, I'm sweating. It's hot out. I'm dirty. The animals stink. Right? The, the, the plants are not easy to grow. i got to make sure they have water all the time. i got to make sure there's nutrients in this. Like, there's all this stuff i got to do. And Adam could say, yeah, it didn't used to be like that. But because of what my but because of what your mother and I did, there was a fall, and now life is harder. Sin is in the world. Death is in the world. We knew we know now that fruits that fruits of our labor come at the sweat from our brow, and that's because of what we did. But it's okay because God promised us a redeemer, and He's going to come. There's hope to look forward to. Working is a way to witness. So we see that in, these two, in, in the two here at the beginning. We also see the next lesson that we kind of get from this section is that Cain and Abel are worshipers. It says, in the course of time, and now that in itself is interesting because in the course of time means over a section of time. So this didn't happen right away. They're living, they're working, but in the course of time means at the end of days, technically, is what it means. But what it, what it breaks down to is at the end of a period of time. Now, we don't know if that means at the end of the agricultural year or at the end of the family's time, because we'll see that that's ending right now as well. But after a certain amount of time, the two boys, Cain and Abel, came to give an offering to God. They were worshiping. This is how they knew to worship. 
So this way of worshiping, this way of giving offerings to God had become part of their life. They were thanking God. They were trying to worship God. They knew that this was an expected piece of how we live with God. But what we see here is Abel and his offerings are acceptable, but Cain and his offering are not. The first question always comes up is why? Everybody says, well, why? How come Cain's offering was good and, and, and Abel's offering, or why was Cain's offering not good and Abel's offering good? Right? What, how come that popped up? What was the issue there? The easy answer, perhaps probably too easy of an answer, to be honest with you, is that God liked animal sacrifice but not harvest. That's probably kind of a too easy of an answer here. Not to mention, biblically, there's, there's a bit around that, I would say, right? That the only reason here that Abel's offering and himself were accepted versus Cain's was because one was animal, one was plant. Doesn't really track. What I'd like to put, put before you is that there's two reasons we see here. The first reason is the quality of the offering. Verse 4 says, Abel brought from the firstborn and their fat. There was an intentionality on Abel's part. Abel went to his flock and he sorted them. He pulled the firstborn. He pulled of their fat. He put, he put thought into it. He put heart into it. And so we have an intentionality on Abel's peace. Cain was indifferent. It doesn't tell us anything about that. There's no mention as the quality of Cain's sacrifice. He wasn't intentional about it. He just brought some of his grain. We pay attention to what we care about. What's important to us takes work. If something's important to us, we make sure that we prioritize it. And Abel here makes sure that his sacrifice shows the heart he has in it. He shows that he's giving God his best. Whereas Cain, it doesn't say does that. The second piece I say that, that has a lot to do with this, because it says not just in the Bible here that God found Abel's offering acceptable and Cain's not. It says God found Abel and his offering accepting, acceptable and Cain and his offering not. The second piece here is the character of the worshiper. Verse 7, God says to Cain after this, If you do well, if you live well, you will, will you not be accepted? If you live well, if you do well, Cain, won't you be accepted? But if you don't do well, if you don't live well, sin is crouching at your door. It desire, its desire is contrary to you. Sin is against you. You must master it. You have to rule over it. So we see a principle here, a biblical principle. God does, not, God does not see worship apart from the worshiper and the heart of the worshiper. God loves when we worship here in the morning. We come. We come around, we come, we sing, we worship, we present love, adoration, thanks to God. 
But God is not going, well, that was a nice song, but I really wish they'd brought Stephen Curtis Chapman in a little bit. Right? He's looking at the song because you're singing it. He doesn't care if you're off key. He doesn't care if you hit the verse exactly. What he cares about is where your heart's from. Are you presenting that to him because you're trying to give your best, because you're thankful, because you love him? The character of the worshiper and the heart of the worshiper is directly linked to the worship itself. Cain was corrupt in that message. Cain lacked faith, and that's why his offering was not acceptable. Hebrews 11.4, I always say when I'm going to make sure I'm going to check something in the Bible, I check it against the Bible, because God's word does not contradict itself. Hebrews 11.4 is a commentary on this actual piece here. It says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commended him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Abel presented a faithful sacrifice. He did it with the right heart, with faith in God. Cain didn't. Cain was just going through the motions. Well, I'm supposed to do this. It's time to do an offering. I better grab some of my stuff and throw it there. And God knows the difference. God just wanted, God wanted Cain to be, be faithful and to love him and to be doing this out of love, not out of obligation. How do we apply this today? Well, I'll say this, this has a direct application. If you think you can live your life Monday through Saturday, however you want, and then just show up on Sunday for an hour, and that checks a box with God, God doesn't see your hour here at church as a checkbox to worship. He's looking at your heart. How are you living your life? He said it to Cain, if you live well, won't you be found acceptable? Our faith and our love for God has to expand past Sunday morning. And then when we're here singing, when we're here worshiping, when we're praying during the week, if we're doing Bible study, however we're worshiping God, it's acceptable because he knows our heart is in it. And that's all he's asking for. He's not asking for you, for you to be the best singer. He's not asking you for you to remember the most verses. He's not asking for you, for you to be the most righteous every day of your life. He's asking for your heart to be in it and for whatever you're putting in front of him to be because you're thankful and you love him and there's faith there. We next see what happens when you don't do that. When you really don't put faith in God, you're not doing this, but you're just going through the motions. You're just trying to check things off. And we see the next piece. We've seen Cain as a worker. We've seen him as a worshiper. Now we see Cain as a murderer. We see the sin, this seed of sin that started here as doing his own thing, faithless, faithlessness, not living well, and it progresses itself here. Cain was angry, and he got an attitude. Basically what it says here, I think it actually says Cain was angry, and his face fell, 
or his face was fallen. He got an attitude. He wanted to make sure people knew he wasn't happy. And God says in verse 6, Cain, why the attitude? <laughs> he actually says, Cain, why are you angry and your face is fallen? But the same, per same principle here. God says to Cain, hey, what's the problem? This is the real clue to the fact that Cain wasn't right with God. It's in his response. God says, yeah, your worship's not right. And instead of saying, I'm sorry, where did I go wrong? Or, okay, yeah, I know I wasn't putting my best here and I should have. And repenting and confessing and saying, yeah, I'm sorry, God. He gets mad. This happens to us. If you've ever been doing the wrong thing or been caught in some type of sin, which we all have in our lives at some point, you'll know that when you get caught, the fleshly sinful response is usually we get defensive. Instead of just saying, hey, yeah, I was, you know what, you're right, I was messed up, I was bad. It's, it, a lot of times if we continue in that sin, we try to block it. We go, no, 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 it wasn't us. It has nothing to do with, no, I don't know what you're talking about. So instead of recognizing that he had been doing wrong, and that it was him and his worship that was the problem here, it was his heart, Cain gets mad. He gets mad at God and he gets mad at his brother. And we see there was no reason to get mad at his brother except the fact that his brother did it correctly and he didn't. Cain's response shows his heart. Cain got mad when he should have been meek. Cain got angry when he should have been lowly. He was mad at God. He was mad at his brother whose worship was acceptable. His true colors showing here. The seed of murder is already growing in his heart. He hasn't, he hasn't murdered anybody yet, but it's already there and it's already growing. Right? I would put before you, Cain was a murderer in his heart way before he was a murderer with his hands. Because he was allowing that anger, that ego, that defensiveness, that self-righteousness to grow and to flourish. And this was not, God saw this, and we're going to see what happens next, right? But we know that you cannot let that. If it's in your heart, it's already something that's, that's going to turn itself. You're allowing sin to grow. You're not mastering it, it's mastering you. Jesus said, you've heard that it was said by those of old that you shall not murder. But I say unto you, if you're angry at your brother without cause, you're in line for the judgment. Cain was angry at his brother without cause. He was angry at God without cause. He was the one who had messed up. And he was in line for the judgment because he, it was going to lead somewhere. And it was going to lead somewhere terrible. So God sees Cain is on the verge of a real bad choice here. His heart's already going that way. God could have just walked away and said, you know what? You're going to get angry and defensive. You messed up, not me. You know what? I'm done with you and walked away. He doesn't. God engages Cain before the murder is done here. God engages him and he says, he reminds Cain, listen, before you do anything else, if you live right, if you live faithfully, you will be accepted. That was where you messed up, Cain. 
But if you don't, if you continue giving in to this sin, to this ego, to this self-righteousness, sin is like a crouching animal waiting to pounce on you. You have to master it in your life, or it's going to master you. That's pretty great advice, especially for someone who's full of anger. Master sin or it will devour you. Martin Luther used to say, you can't stop the birds from flying overhead, but you can certainly stop them from building a nest in your hair. You can try to make sure your life's clean. You can't be in charge of everything around you, but you can try to make sure that your life is clean. And if you can't on your own, which we know we can't, you can ask God for help. God was there for Cain. He was trying to give him good advice. He was trying to tell him the way he should go. And Cain again turned his back. Cain and Abel are out in the field, and Cain raises up and kills his brother. The first human death in the Bible. We saw the first birth, the first family, the first pregnancy. We saw the first kids working with their father, and now we have the first murder. The first time a man takes another man's life. We don't know how he did it. It doesn't tell us if he grabbed a stone or a knife or how he did it, but we know he raised up and he killed his brother. I don't know how he did it. But I can tell you one thing, it felt good. For a time, revenge feels good. Well, he had that coming. I'm fine. I'm finally. He's going to be showing me up because he's, he's got a good sacrifice. But sin and death, revenge, those things only feel good very briefly. And it changed real quick for Cain. God comes to Cain and says, Cain, where's your brother? Keep in mind, anywhere in the Bible when God's asking us a question, it's rhetorical. Right? God knows everything. Right? He doesn't ask a question he doesn't already know the answer to. He asked Adam and Eve last chapter in the garden, remember? After they ate the fruit, hey, where are you at? Why are you hiding? Who told you you were naked? Right? He knew the answers to all those things. He was allowing us the opportunity to confess, to open the dialogue, to ask for forgiveness. And he allows Cain that same opportunity here. Where's your brother? And Cain's response is filled with that same anger, that same sin, that dripping with sarcasm. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? It's just, there, there's so much wrong with that response. When he should have been saying, I, I got angry. I killed him. Something came over me. I don't know, forgive me. There's so many other responses above, I don't know, am I his keeper? It's not my job. Once again, trying to deflect his own sin from himself instead of repenting and confessing. That brings us to our, our last piece here, right? God is merciful. We have a merciful and a graceful God. And we see it here in the recollection of the first family, of Cain and Abel, and of Cain's fall. Actions have consequences. 
God could have struck Cain down that instant. It would have been just. It would have been right. Cain had killed a man. God could have killed Cain. He would have had the right to do it. But he doesn't. He still shows Cain mercy. That doesn't mean he lets him off scot-free. That tends to be our own problem in our sinful nature too. Is we tend to think, if God loves us, then it means we should have no consequences. It's not how the world works. But he's merciful here and he doesn't give Cain the consequence he deserves. But there are still consequences for Cain's actions. God tells him, listen, the ground cries out for your brother's blood. And because of that, you're going to be cursed. It's important to look here. We've seen so many firsts. Cain's the first man in the Bible cursed as well. The only, the only thing cursed before this point was the serpent. So now Cain's in that company. And he says, you're going to be cursed. You're a farmer. That's your life. That was your life. That's everything you invested in. Your- now it's not going to do anything. You can put as many seeds and water it and put as much soil and fertilizer as you want, and you're not going to get anything from it. Because that very ground you relied on is now soaked in your brother's blood. That's a consequence to your actions. And even now, after everything that's happened, Cain doesn't say, I'm sorry. You're right, I'm sorry, I messed up. How could I have been so dumb? God, help me, please. I'm, I'm, I'm begging, I need help here. I'm beyond, I'm out of control. No, he doesn't say anything like that. Instead, he's concerned about his own skin. Listen to this. Verse 13, Cain says to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Look at where his focus is there. My punishment, I can bear. You've driven me away. From your face I'm hidden. I'm a fugitive. I'll wander the earth. People will kill me. Me, 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 I, I, I. It's where his focus was back when he, tried, when he was worshiping instead of God. It's still where his, his focus is here. God still has mercy on him. God has mercy a second time. He already said, I'm not going to kill you right now. But you're having consequences. He, gave, he was merciful then. And now he says, okay, you're worried about being killed. You know what? I'm going to put a mark on you and no one will kill you. You will be safe in that regard. Another piece of mercy and grace that God's bestowing. Even though he doesn't deserve it. We don't know what the mark is. There's a lot of theologians that go back and forth and everything. It doesn't tell us, which means it's probably not that important to know what it was. The point was he marked Cain so people knew don't kill him. And he said if someone does kill you, they will have that multiplied on themselves sevenfold. Right? That will be that. So I'm protecting you in that aspect again. I'm being merciful once again. We see the sinful, selfish nature of Cain and the merciful, 
gracious nature of God in this, this retelling of the original story here. It shows us how we as people can be selfish. Um, we are the legacy of sin, as we see here in Genesis 4. If you look at the story of Cain and Abel and go, yeah, Cain was a bad, evil dude, and then you jump past it, you're missing out tremendously here. Because we shouldn't be looking at Cain and going, yeah, that guy was terrible and evil. We should be looking at Cain and going, thank God I know Jesus, and I'm focusing on Jesus. And God, help me do that every day. Help me not follow the same path that Cain did. Because that's what easily happens when you forget where you're supposed to be focused. When we don't focus on God, when we don't focus on showing thanks, on showing our love for God, on worshiping God, but we start to allow ourselves to go through the motions. We start to allow ourselves to be driven and dictated by the world around us and by our own sinful nature. That's what we should see here. This, this is a story that's really, it's like, hey, listen, this should remind you, this is a warning not to follow the same faulty nature, that the same faulty mistakes that Cain did. And we can see those things through the same things that Cain did. We saw earlier this morning, right, that even science is pointing out we all come from the same place. We all come from this family. And we all still struggle with some of the same stuff that Cain struggled with. We have a worship problem. Cain did. Most of us look at what worship does for us. Worship needs to be God-centered, not centered on us. We need to be sincere and give God our best. That was the issue with Cain. Cain's worship wasn't sincere. Abel's was. We need to make sure when we come and we sing on Sundays, when we come and we fellowship on Sundays, when we do Bible study, when we're doing our individual study, our prayer, that we're sincere in that. We're not doing it just because we're supposed to or we think that we're getting checked off for attendance. We should be doing it because we want to. Don't let the root of sin produce thorns. That's what we see here too. I said earlier on that we see the sin produce fruit. That's really not technically true. We know that faith produces fruit. Thorn, or, uh, faith produces fruit. Sin produces thorns in your life and thorns in the people around you. The thorns in Cain's life created separation from God, the death of his brother, the fracturing of his family. Both men were taken out of this family. Abel by death, Cain by exile. Adam and Eve ended up, finally were blessed once again and had Seth, their third son, and from him everybody else comes. This almost broke a family. Sin is crouching, and you must master it, God told Cain. Luckily, we have the Holy Spirit to help us with that, but we have to ask for help. We need to be able to repent and say, I'm messing up. I'm not sure where to go. God, help me here. Sin always brings separation. We see that here, too. It separated Cain from God, his family, separated fellowship. Sin creates lonely, isolated people. 
Cain spent the rest of his days wandering. He did have a wife. He did have kids. They tried building cities, but it never lasted because as soon as the flood happened, the only people that were left were the descendants of Seth from the line, through the line of Noah. So where do we look for here? Well, there's a light at this story, right? We have a merciful, gracious God. Because Jesus overcame sin, we know the Redeemer that Adam and Eve were promised. Jesus overcame sin. We have the ability to go to God and say, I messed up. It didn't, I didn't master sin. Please help me. Help me to do better. Help me to be more like Jesus. I've given myself to Him. We had an amazing display this morning of Abby, who came up here and for everyone here, made this, showed the sign and the symbol that she has made that decision. She's focusing her life on Jesus. She's focusing her life. She's devoting to God. And we all should be remembered of that because we see here in this, in this retelling, in this account of Cain and Abel, where things can go quickly when we don't. That's our nature still, when left to our own devices. We need to do better. And the only way we can do that is through God, by our sincere faith and our sincere hearts towards God, through Jesus. If, you have, if you've never done that, if you've never made that decision for yourself, if you've never said, Jesus, I believe you died for my sins, and because of that, I'm going to have eternal life. We saw actions have consequences. You believe Jesus died for your sins doesn't mean every day from now on will be perfect. You're never going to have a bad day. You're never going to make mistakes. It means that when this life ends, we get to spend life with God. Never separated. And that's the greatest thing we can ever hope for. It's much more important than daily life here is. But if you've never made that decision, or you've never really thought about it, and you have questions about it, please come up, talk to me after service, talk to Pastor Dan after service. We're always willing to talk with people and kind of talk you through that, give you more information. But it's an important piece here, because that is what we should take away from this story. That this is our nature, this is where we'd all be going if it weren't for God, and it weren't for, the, for Jesus, the Redeemer He had promised. Thank you for listening. Join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. at River of Life Church, or find us online on Facebook, YouTube, or at RiverAlbany.com.